Welcome to this episode of the Electronique Podcast, where we bring you the latest information in RPA and tell you how you can build, sell, and support your automation service business. So let's jump right into it. Hello, Alex. How are you, Kennelly Wright? Doing good, doing good. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and being a part of this customer success story and the case studies that we're going to be doing for Telemorph. So really appreciate it. So please um, tell us your name, role, responsibilities, and how long you've been with the company. So my name is Alex Tuniridis. I've been with the company since the conception because I'm one of the founders, obviously. But my background is actually in software engineering. Um, I was working as a software engineer for the big four, as we call them, Deloitte and, and those kind of companies, uh, building big software that works globally. And then basically around 2015, I moved over to the consulting side. And that's when I got very much uh, involved in robotic process automation. Um, and basically since then, it's been my sole focus. So RPA at the beginning and then the other more clever stuff along the way. Um, so in 2018, me and another two guys decided that we don't like the way the traditional consulting firms work. So we founded Intellimove and then as they say, the rest is history. Intellimove though is a bit of a, a hybrid organization, if you will, because unlike the traditional consulting firms, we also have our own internal team that builds software. And part of that was because, especially at the beginning, a lot a lot of the solutions that we were relying on, the RPA platforms and everything else, they were quite immature or they were targeting something very specific. And when it comes to real life business transformation, what you often find is that there's a lot of gaps, a lot of things that they couldn't do um, you know, and those sort of things. So in terms of being able to deliver you know, an end-to-end -end transformation, we needed other bits and pieces. So the idea was we can build those components, we can connect them all up and make a more seamless end-to-end -end transformation. Which which I think has, you know, an even greater impact uh, to the business that we were helping out. And that's kind of how all that started. And that sort of evolved into us building our own platform for certain things, because what we found is that in every engagement we go to, we always end up creating templates for this, templates for that, templates for the other. We have little tools and different calculators that we go for, you know, different parts of our workflow, like, you know, assess the amount of work there is or the benefits of this automation or, you know, all those sort of things. So what we decided to do is basically take all of those things, convert them into a platform that we can use ourselves to deliver our consulting services, which in essence makes us more standardized as well. And then now, you know, that's sort of grown quite a bit and it's part of the offering that we give our customers and we wear alongside each other. So we have the platform that we can capture the process information. So we can do the analysis on all of that, can do the documentation and all those good things on there. And then at the end, when something goes into production, that becomes our monitoring platform. So we can do that on a 24 seven basis. So since the beginning, you know, the monitoring side has been something that was close to my heart because in uh, when I was working the consulting side, yeah, before in Telemove, one of my uh, biggest engagements was running a very big automation at a bank in the UK where we had 160 digital workers working 24-7. So I basically designed and built the monitoring platform around all of that, which did a lot of things like, you know, uh, queue management and those sort of clever things to keep everything rolling across all of those machines. Um, so we learned quite a bit from that. So we built that monitoring platform from zero out in Telemorph and it's part of our offering as well. So 
you know, we've been working with the big three since 2015. But what we've constantly found is that the big three have very solid solutions, but they're quite expensive, right? Now, as things started getting tighter and tighter in the UK market, especially before the pandemic and during the pandemic, then we also had Brexit and all the likes. Um, so what we found is, you know, especially smaller organizations, the barrier to entry was too high because of licensing fees. So for them to make sense to invest in automation or a transformation project, you know, the return on investment just wasn't there easily. So we started looking at different options to see how we can do this differently. Um, and we did like a, you know, like a vendor assessment at the time. Electronic was obviously one of those options. You know, we got the guys to use all of the tools and give us feedback on, you know, how to find it and all of that. And then it led to us basically thinking how we can now start building, you know, a go-to-market strategy with Electronic in mind as, you know, our vendor of choice for things, um, you know, for transformation projects, which are for small and medium sort of organizations, right? Now, for me, you know, looking at the technical aspects of Electronic, there's a lot that I like, right? And the fact that it's easy to integrate with the platform means we can actually get our, you know, the platform that we build that we call IntelliMove Cloud and actually get Electronic to connect into it. So then we can launch and monitor things from our platform as well, even if they're Electronic based or something else which means for us and our support teams, we have one tool that does everything irrespective of the RPA vendor that we use. The other thing is one of the projects that, you know, we thought that Electronic would be a good fit is I think one of the use cases that uh, Shafi mentioned to you as well on the charity side. So when I looked at what Electronic can do, I was thinking it would be a very good fit for them. So, you know, that opened up basically a whole conversation around what can we do, you know, what the future looks like, you know, the art of the possible and all those crazy consulting terms that we throw out. And, you know, we decided, you know what, you know, there's a lot we can do with electronic. And I know that strictly speaking, the platform is not geared for enterprise level organizations. So there's a few areas where we would have to do a lot more work to close those gaps in essence, because there's no direct integrations from within electronic, but we were confident in our abilities to do that. So we thought we can do this. So let's just go ahead and, um, you know, get this ingrained there and, and see how it goes. And we were hopeful and optimistic that this would be fine. And it is. And basically for the last uh, nine months, um, our whole team has been trained up on electronic and they're using this as a primary tool for what they do. And obviously doing this, you know, in the third sector means that the more money we save these organizations, the more money they have to use for good things, which is ultimately what they're for, right? So it makes us feel good because it's not just saving money from a, a banker who just makes more money at the end of it, but, you know, it, it, it has a good vibe uh, as well. So, you know, we're, we're bringing something back to the community, if you will. So, yeah, I know that I spoke for a bit of extra time there, but I just wanted to give you a, like a, a, a holistic picture of the history, so to speak, up till now. No, no, that's great. And I, I love what you're talking about, where the, the charity uh, market and focusing on that and building that up, because that's going to be a great story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be, it's going to be read very widely. I know, and I'm quite sure it's going to be when we move forward. With it. So. It's it's a great story, but also you know it was a huge um, change for us as well because 
previous engagements we've done were mostly in the financial industries, you know, banking, insurance, that kind of thing. And those guys are focused on numbers and the bottom line, right? That's all they're fixated on. So when you're doing like an assessment and you're showing, you know, what are the benefits of what we're bringing, you know, the transformation project, they just look at, you know, money in, money out. If that makes sense, that's fine. Go ahead and do it. But when we were talking and, you know, pitching to the charity, they had no idea or interest in those numbers, right? So what they care about is how much more time do I have to do the work that I'm supposed to do to help, you know, children, cancer research and whatever it is, right? And that sort of threw us off a bit because I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> we don't have calculators for that yet. <laughs> so we almost had to rethink the whole approach and come up with something that basically works, um, you know, in, in both phases, um, which led to the assessment tool that we're currently using. But, you know, it was one of those initial conversations, which I was, you know, met with some questions I've never met before, because it was a very different way of thinking to what we were used to. But that's all good learning exercises, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was, uh, it just shows how different, you know, this industry is to pretty much everything else. And I think, you know, from a story to tell point of view, uh, it doesn't get much better than this. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, I totally agree. It's giving me goosebumps while you're talking about it. Now, Alex, tell me, how did you get involved in, if you've been involved in charities before, like in your personal background, your company background, like do you support well, a charity? Um, I know about this. So I guess it's it's a combination of factors, but the, the way we've, got introduced to this charity in the first instance is we were presenting at um, at Smashions Anywhere Imagine uh, conference. Um, so I was on stage presenting the work that we did on, on a different engagement uh, at the time in the manufacturing sector. Um, and basically, you know, I was... The, the story we, we built was around, you know, how we helped this organization improve, in essence, and the few things that we did during our time there, right? Um, and what happened is there were six uh, people that did the presentation. We were one of them. The other five basically just stood there for seven minutes and just tried to sell their organization. That's all they did, Right. So they didn't give anything useful to the people who were in the audience. You know, there's two and a half thousand people there sitting, you know, what can I learn from here? And all they were hearing is, oh, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. Whereas our story was a bit different. And I think that resonated a bit more. And a few people from the charity were there in the audience. So they sort of, um, you know, looked out uh, to speak to us afterwards uh, when all the presentations were done. Um, so we spoke to them then, and as it turns out, uh, one of my ex-colleagues, uh, his wife worked at the charity. Um, so then, you know, they also got to know us as, as people, and that's really what started those conversations, because when they started telling me about things that they do, I was like, but why are you doing this? You should be doing that, you know? Um, and that sort of spiraled, but don't get me wrong, when they went to the RPA vendor, um, the way the system used to work back then is the RPA vendor would propose, you know, a consulting firm to help them out based on their expertise. So they were given to someone else. And, um, you know, they went with them for a good six to nine months, I think. Um, they didn't get along very well. 
Um, and then they basically said, okay, we need to reevaluate. And they went around, uh, you know, they, they, because they're an audited firm, everything they do has to be audited. So there has to be three options to choose from and they have to explain why they went for the one they went for, right? So they went to market, so to speak. So they asked us to go and pitch and they had another couple of organizations pitch alongside us. Um, and we won that contract and basically we've been there since then. So that was back in 2019. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the whole thing started. We had no experience in this industry before, but when we started talking to them, I started basically calling everyone I knew and I said, do you know anyone in the charity? I want to speak to people. I want to learn, you know, what they're like, what do they, what they're interested in, you know, and all of that. But um, yeah, they're just generally very good people, you know, the sort of people that want to make a, a positive impact and a good change for everyone else. Um, you know, it's not about how much money they have or they don't have. It's about, you know, trying to make an impact in whichever way you can. Um, you know, and that sort of, you know, took me a while to get my head around it because obviously all the conversations we're having were very different. Um, so pretty much anything that we had, any decks, any presentations, everything we had was not relevant for them. So we had to basically start almost from scratch, um, and build everything up for them so that it makes sense. And it's something that they could relate. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the whole thing started. <laughs> um, no, thank you for the background. Uh, I, yeah. I know that the team is really excited about them doing a great job for you and for the charities and, and the companies that you work with. Uh, so how many employees are in the company now and how many locations do you have? So it's 10 of us and we have two locations. Um, we're primarily based in the UK where most of their consulting work is done. Um, and we also have our R&D uh, is out in uh, Sri Lanka, basically. So the software development um, happens there. Um, and obviously, we use the Windows Azure platform, so everything is online and on the cloud. So we access everything from everywhere. Because obviously, the work that we do is, is it works a lot better face-to-face. You know, all the consulting stuff happens in the UK and we always had people here because we're always on client site usually. Yeah, it's uh, for us at least. Sometimes it's always better to shake hands and see right eye to eye uh, in the same room to get things to done. To be honest with you, you know, when, when you're trying to learn about an organization, about a team, what works well and what doesn't work well, you know, what I find is the most useful information happens around the water cooler. It's not in meetings, it's not in presentations, not in that is when you're talking casually to people and, you know, they're in a relaxed environment where they can feel they can open up. Because in a meeting, especially with their manager there, nobody says the full story, right? And that's not what we need in order to help them. We need the real story, right? So it 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 takes, a, you know, a, a different approach. So I think having both is what yields results, really. You're a hybrid approach to that. Yeah. So one of the sections that we have is kind of like the criteria for selection. So what else did you evaluate before you chose Electronique? And what made you choose Electronique? So for me, there's a few different things. So we looked at basically uh, different vendors that could offer us uh, a lower barrier to entry. So for us, the initial outlay of any organization had to be as low as possible. Um, so we looked at things like open bots and um, 
Uh, there's a few other tools that we looked at the time, even the open source ones like RPA framework and all those things. Because um, we have full stack developers here, we don't necessarily need to stick to something that's easy to use. We could do, you know, the geeky stuff. But when we started evaluating things, for me, there's there's a few parameters that I was looking for. And, and one was, you know, the speed of delivery, right? How quick it is to develop something with the platform, um, you know, how wide the capabilities are of the platforms. And if it offers everything that we need in terms of, you know, web and windows and all those sort of things, right? And then how we can manage the platform and how well can it fit in the rest of our ecosystem. So as I mentioned before, one of the things I was looking forward to is plugging in all the electronic stuff into our platform. And because of the APIs and stuff, um, that's quite easy to do. So uh, when we graded things between the different platforms, I think for us, this was the easiest one to use. It's sort of a, a blend between, you know, a lightweight UI path on the um, design approach. Um, and I do like, you know, how the activities are broken down and how you connect the dots. Um, but what I hadn't anticipated is actually what this means is a, a, a quite a fresh approach to how you do things. Because obviously, you know, for instance, like how the error handling works is very different to everything we were used to before. So again, you know, with every new platform, you have to learn and adjust accordingly. But we've taken a lot of the learnings from, you know, our experience and we've tried to put as much as we can around electronic. And, and that was one of the things that we're looking forward to. So, for example, how do we make templates in code that we can reuse in other places to speed things up, right? So, to give you an example, you know, when we start a fresh project, we don't start from scratch. We have a template that people pick up. It's already linked up into our monitoring solution and the documentation and all that stuff. So, they have a lot of the bulk already done. So, they can start building the process that they need to do, but it's already onboarded into all of our stuff. So, they don't have to keep you know, finding and writing all those things up. So this was, again, one of the criteria we looked at. And because we had the option of importing things and sharing those activities, you know, for me, it, it, it's an area that electronics scored highly. Um, it was also perhaps the fastest to develop in, uh, which I liked. And the fact that it's built basically on, on JavaScript, for me, that means that on web-based stuff, it would have been really good, and it is. Um, and we're seeing more and more web and online, you know, cloud-based systems being used. So I thought as time goes on, that will be an advantage that keeps growing. Um, so I felt, you know, there's, there's quite a lot here to um, help us choose electronic over something else. Thank you for that. And for ramping up and getting, you know, teams up to speed, how long did it take to build the first bots with Electronique? So what it was, we got everyone to go through all the training courses in the first week. And then the second week, we basically all sat down hourly meetings every day. And everyone was given small tasks to do. And in that hour session, everyone was sharing what they did and how they did it to the rest of the group. So we we're basically learning uh, by teaching each other everything that we were doing. So I think we spent like three weeks going through this process. And then by that point, people were comfortable that they know how to do things and they knew enough. So at that point, we started basically taking the uh, existing bots uh, written in AA and translating them into electronic. But the first step for me was to come up with a, a design pattern that means that everyone will follow the same approach so that the result is something that, you know, is is 
closely related to what everyone does to make support and all that stuff easier. So to build actual bots, it took us a bit of time because we had to do all the other components first and all the reusable components and the templates and all of that. But I think we knew enough about, you know, building stuff in Nertronic, um, you know, so from basically month two, the guys were able to start building things. It's just the first things we started building were not bots, but all the ancillary items, if you will, to make building bots easier. That makes sense. Well, no, that makes sense. And did you start doing anything for internal uses first, or did you straight for clients? No, straight for clients. There's not much to do for internal use. <laughs> Everything's already been connected up and automated as much as possible because that's my job and I don't want to do much. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing. So, everything we do, you know, over the years, we have like training courses and all sorts of things because we are accredited trainers for other RPA vendors as well. So we have quite a lot of stuff that we use to train people up. So we've sort of converted some of that stuff for electronic um, and got the guys working on that stuff basically to help speed up. But I think, you know, trying to embrace the remote working on this aspect, having those knowledge shares every day and our age when people can go through everything they've done and show their approach. You know, I think people learned quite a lot from that because they could then say, oh, you did it this way, I did it that way. You know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But what we didn't know at that point is obviously what happens when you put all of these things in production and working 24-7, right? And that's not something you can learn until you get to that point. So when we built the first bots, we run them in parallel to the original ones. And we're basically comparing the results, the outputs between the original and the new one. Uh, and we had the new ones working on their own, you know, on a loop basically to see how we can break it and, you know, what we can learn in, in that area. Um, and there's a few things that came out of that, which we basically took back to, you know, the, the design in essence and say, okay, we do this this way, we do this that way and so on and so forth. So, you know, we've evolved how we do things over time, obviously, but that's part of how I expected things to go, to be honest. And how do you identify automation opportunities with your clients or with your prospects? So we have a team that works generally with the customer to, um, you know, pick those things up. We call this, this two steps that we go through. One is business understanding and the other one is process understanding. The business understanding part of our workflow basically we go through conversations with the team to try and understand you know what's working well what's not working well and then try and look at patterns you know if there's something you can fix at a wider scale that will have a much bigger ROI for the team than just focusing on little bits and pieces and then obviously you start talking to the team and the individuals and trying to identify you know high volume things that they work on you know, things that cause friction or cause delays or things that miss deadlines, you know, any quality related stuff, you know, those sort of things. Um, and you slowly start finding, you know, the, the things that would help improve, you know, how the team works and um, how well the team feels, if you will, like the mental aspect of it. Because for me, that's quite an important aspect, largely because RPA and, and transformation has a very negative outset that, you know, the robots are here to replace us and take our jobs and we're going to be redundant, right? So everyone always talks about the Terminator and, and Skynet, right? Um, and what we try and show is that, in fact, that's not what happens. What happens is you have 
happier humans doing better work and better quality outcomes. Because if you work clever, you get to do that. But in order to do that, you have to get rid of the stuff that machines can do better than us and focus on the things that we're better at doing. Okay. So I think in order to do that, you have to look at those elements as well. You know, what makes a team work well and what are the things that stop the team from becoming high performance. So there is an element of us identifying what are the key metrics and the KPIs that we can use to identify the performance level of the team. And then, you know, when we transform it, we can then compare what is it now compared to before, you know, can you show that this has actually improved and all those sort of things. So there is also the part of this exercise, which is after things are in production, six months later, you know, take a snapshot. What does it look like now compared to before and, and all those sort of things? Because as you know, you know, building five bots and putting them in production and then leaving is not really what we want to be doing, right? So we use all of these mechanisms both to be engaged with the customer, but also to say, you know, we're here to help you for the long run. And these are ways that we can employ that can help in getting us there. Um, and again, as I mentioned, you know, the, the data capturing and all of those sort of bits happening on, on our platform. So we have a single portal that all the processes are identified on. So we have a nice backlog. So we can assess on the system, you know, what the benefits are, how much time they're spending, you know, what's the business cost of each process, you know, all those good things. And we can then quickly assess, you know, how quick it is for us to automate that and what would be the immediate benefit to the business. And then, you know, we can compare these things and prioritize them based on their wants and needs. Um, some people just want extra time back. So it's not about, you know, the highest ROI, for example. Some people care about reducing or managing risk. So you look at those things first, you know, all of these sort of things. So it does depend from engagement to engagement. Um, but what we try and do is capture as many of these things as we can so we can then have the option of prioritizing accordingly for them. That's perfect. And, and talking about prioritizing for individuals, what type of automation processes that you see that will be the most in demand in the next two to three years? Interesting. So I think there's a few bits to this. Um, and I think as time goes on, one of the things which is, in my view, missing more and more is that, you know, the reporting and the analysis side of the world more than anything else. And the reason I'm saying this is because obviously the way we work now is extremely different to what it was three years ago, right? Pre-pandemic, for example. So with most organizations are basically adopting a hybrid working way, you know, maybe three days in the office or people working flexibly or whatever it is, you know, a lot of things are done differently. Communications are more, you know, written down now as opposed to before. Not necessarily in email form, but, you know, instant messaging and chat and, you know, all those sort of things. So I think the way we work is changing quite a bit. But also the way we report what we've done and what we found is also different because it's not now as it was before where you would turn to your manager and say, hey, I did this or hey, I did that. That just doesn't happen anymore in the same way, right? So I think there is an element of, you know, being able to visualize or show in a visual way, you know, what's been accomplished and how and the timeframes and all those sort of things. So I think, you know, the, the business intelligence aspect is going to increase in demand in order to do that because every manager will need to show somehow that their team is still performing, whether they're working hybrid or not. And that's something they're being asked for already. But I think going forward is going to be a way of working that, you know, you can't get away from not having this the same way that, you know, 
a consulting firm always needs to look at, you know, you sell this, the cost is this, the profit is this, the margin has to be in this area. Otherwise, you don't go ahead, right? So I think it's it's one of those things. It's going to become the norm and the business as usual. In terms of processes, though, that you mentioned, I think with everyone working more and more online and a lot of more organizations being technology ready, depending on how far ahead they are with their technological uptake, if you will, they're going to be at different stages, right? Especially smaller organizations, we find that a lot of them. Uh, fit into categories. The ones which have been around for some time, which are predominantly using older technologies and less cloud-based stuff. And then the new organizations, which are predominantly cloud-based stuff. So for the cloud-based or the cloud-first approach, these organizations are a lot uh, more ready to take advantage of integrations with other systems and taking, you know, um, automation to the next level. Whereas the other ones, there is going to be, you know, I think a bit of moving from one system to the other or upgrading what they have or, you know, moving to new ways of working. So I think for those organizations, there's going to be a lot of migration projects and a lot of data transformation and those kind of things to move from one platform to the other. Um, we've actually started seeing this already with some of our customers because they're realizing that there's cheaper options nowadays for some of the things they used to do, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. So, you know, now that everyone's more conscious about, you know, costs, this is becoming, you know, uh, the push people need to start looking into improving themselves in some ways. And IT is an area that for a lot of organizations, especially if they're not IT literate or they don't have internal IT system, um, uh, teams or, you know, developers and the likes, you know, they would want to outsource that. But outsourcing IT in the UK is not a cheap thing. So if you want a microphone one system to the other, it can be a very expensive affair. So having, you know, building an electronic bot, for example, to do that would be a much cheaper option and much easier thing to do. So some of these things, I think, uh, will be quite interesting uh, and they will happen more and more. Um, I think for organizations that have embraced cloud more, it's going to be more integrations with other systems and trying to get a more end-to-end integration from all of their systems and getting their data to do the work for them. So, you know, it's just moving up to the next level, basically. So that's the kind of things I see more and more. So a lot of organizations and and jobs are changing quite drastically. For instance, recruitment works very differently nowadays than before. So there's a lot more online background checks being done and all those sort of things. So we're seeing some automation in that area in terms of, you know, again, this goes back to integrating different systems, but for instance, you can get the recruiter to integrate with a background check service. You can send the CV across or the passport or whatever. They'll do the background checks for you, tell you this person is fine or not. And then you have all of that information to share with your customer and all of those good things, right? So I think services are becoming, you know, better quality and they're becoming more involved compared to before. So it's a bit of um, an improvement to what they used to do before in order to stay competitive while trying to manage costs uh, in, in, in that sense. So I think, you know, it's not a a specific process that will be more in demand. I think it's type of things that are going to be happening given how things are moving at least in the UK. Perfect. No, thank you for that. Uh, I have one more question. What recommendations would you give first-time MSPs or IT providers that want to build a successful RPA business? This is an interesting one because actually, as much as I love RPA, um, 
the one thing we always say in every RPA sales page is RPA is not a silver bullet, right? It doesn't do everything and it will not solve all your problems, right? It has, it's very good at certain things. It's very bad at certain others. You need to know what you're paying for and what you're getting, right? But I think some of the useful things for, um, you know, MSPs and, and people who are going to be trying to sell RPA is to understand the total cost of ownership, which a lot of vendors don't like to say too much upfront, um, especially the expensive ones. Um, but I think, you know, our ethos is being transparent. So for me, that's something that I share pretty much from the get-go, right? These are the things involved. This is what you're going to be paying for. These are the components and so on and so forth. But I think you have to be, um, you know, open with people and say, look, RPA is very good at these scenarios. It's very good at those scenarios. It's not very good at those scenarios, right? So if you have, you know, uh, processes or scenarios that fit in these areas, then that's great. You know, push it as much as you want, right? It is the best integration technology we have. Um, but you know, some organizations would benefit more by having an alternative option and say, instead of forking out an RPA, maybe we need to invest in integrating our systems better through something different, which is fine as well, right? So I think it's not for organizations that have, you know, strong technical capabilities. It becomes another tool in the toolbox, right? It's something extra that you can have that can, you know, answer a lot of those questions and what you need to look at is how quickly each tool can answer those, you know, the, the challenges you have. And I think you'll find that RPA is very good at a lot of areas, uh, but there are areas which is not as good as some other technology. So that's how you choose. But for us, when we talk about any of these things, we always start from, you know, what's the problem? What are you trying to solve? You know, let's look at a bigger picture and then we slowly go down to, you know, break the problem down to the different components and then we see what technology makes more sense, right? I wouldn't start a conversation acting by saying, buy RPA, it's the best thing ever. Even if it is, nobody, you know, from the business point of view will be understanding what you're talking about. Well, they agree. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing with that, Alex. It was great. Uh, well, uh, Alex, thank you very much. Uh, like we said at the beginning, uh, now begins the follow-up process and the refinement. Sounds good. If anyone has any questions, feel free. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone for being on the call. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Electronique Podcast.